Welcome back to the third season of Gold Diggers. This is the podcast created by 25 unsuspecting psychology students at the University of Georgia, led by our frenetic professor, Dr. Michelle Van Dellen, who's an expert in the field of social psychology. We're going to be mining the research of goal pursuit and self-regulation to bring you everyday stories with a scientific twist. Follow us on this journey as we unearth the grit and determination of the ordinary individual who digs deep to achieve something special. We know as much as you do about where this is going. Goals! Can you dig it? You know how one cookie sometimes just isn't enough? Or how you tell yourself just one more episode and before you know it, you've wasted, mm, let's say four hours. You could have been productive watching Stranger Things instead. For some people, this is as far as it goes. For others, self-control is a lot harder and can sometimes affect your relationships with yourself and those around you. Why does this happen? And what do we know about self-control to motivate us to change these life habits? For this episode of Gold Diggers, you've got Emily and Alex here welcoming Hannah. Hannah is a recovered drug addict whose story started in a dark spot at the young age of 13, but ends in the light at the end of the tunnel. Her drug addiction began with just recreational use. You know, just for fun. It was a beach trip. We all went there and he was smoking weed. So, okay. it was like a pressure, peer pressure almost. But then what spiraled from there was a whole new problem that became bigger than anyone could have expected. Because I was like smoking weed and then I got into opiates. Okay. So it was like not consistent and then it became consistent. And when would you say you really got into opiate use? Was it pretty soon after the weed trip, or was it? No, it was like, I didn't start using opiates, like, for fun, probably till that sophomore year. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I had older friends that would, like, do liquid coating, things like that. And I had, like, a throat surgery, so I always had it. Oh, So I okay. started giving it to them, and then I started doing it with them. Gotcha. Okay. So it kind of, like, snowballed. That led us to the question of whether or not Hannah wanted to or felt like she needed to stop using drugs. So when you started using, um, was there ever a point where you felt like you needed to stop? Hundreds of times. And what motivated you to actually stop? Um, different things at different times. I didn't consistently use drugs since I started eighth grade or like summer of eighth grade. It was here and there. So I got sober for a little bit. One, because I got arrested. And then the second time was for a boyfriend because he didn't approve of drugs and actually drug tested me when I hung out with him. Whoa. That's mm-hmm. deep. <laughs> Jeez. Yep. And then the third time was for my son. Well, to be a better mom for my son. So Hannah had multiple motivators when it came to getting sober initially, but the only one that eventually stuck was the realization that she wanted to be a mom. Having a child, I was trying to, like, get myself on, like, the right path, including, like, I stopped using drugs. Like, I did smoke weed, like, until I found out I was pregnant. Smoked maybe, like, two or three, like, months, but stopped doing opiates. So that was the biggest thing for me, because I was like, you know, that to me is a no, but, like, smoking weed, it really wasn't until, like, I don't know, I was, like, maybe 13 weeks, and I was like, okay, that's enough. And they, like, start drug testing you at the OBGYN, so, like, another motivation not to do that. Mm-hmm. So having a child kind of saved Hannah's life, but deciding to have this child meant she had to give up drugs, something that was obviously very hard for her since it had been a part of her life for about seven years or so. Becoming a mom was never really an ideal possible self-image for Hannah. 
before you had Christopher, did you ever see yourself having kids? No. So, what was the motivation <laughs> to keep Christopher? If I'm being completely honest, it wasn't really, like, the plan. Um, I wanted an abortion, pretty much, from the second I found out. His dad was on the same page, and then he wasn't. So, it was, like, pressure to keep our son. I really wanted to do an abortion, then I wanted to do an adoption. Because, like, I wasn't ready. We weren't, like, married. I knew him for, like, a year. And you were really young. Yeah, and we were using drugs together. Not really the life he wanted to bring a child into. Turning to scientific research, we know romantic partners hold a significant influence over individuals' choices when it comes to motivation. While Hannah may not have been on board at the time, the influence her son's dad had on her motivation to keep their son allowed Christopher to be born and then eventually changed Hannah's trajectory. Whether she liked it or not, having this child was an important goal for her. Once Christopher became her reality, even before he was born, Hannah's end goal of having Christopher was more important than her alternative, more immediate goal of not getting high. Her implicit importance or her attitude towards having a healthy baby changed drastically, which helped her motivation to get clean spike. We know that the importance of a goal to a person increases when there is only one major goal rather than multiple competing goals. Implicit importance also plays a large role in someone's internal motivation to finish a goal, otherwise known as someone's intrinsic motivation. From Hannah's story, we can already see that there was intrinsic motivation growing, but her goal was not fully formed yet. So at that point when you had Christopher in the hospital, was you and Christopher's dad's plan to stay together and raise him, or did you just know that wasn't going to happen? Um, the plan, yes, the plan was to do that. It was kind of like all thrown away the same day. Okay, so my son's dad, Chris, was getting high on Roxy's, which is like an opiate, like a pill. Like the day I had him, but I didn't know that. I just caught his dad handing him them as, like, we're sitting in the hospital room. Like, our son was not even, like, 10 hours old. Wow. And he crushed it up and, like, snorted it at the hospital. How did you, that, how did that make you feel? Um, I was a hot mess. So at this point, reality wasn't playing out how Hannah expected. After the baby was born, Hannah's boyfriend still wanted to keep Christopher and stay together as a family. Hannah turned becoming, into, becoming a family into an expectation and began doing what was necessary to reach that goal. But for her boyfriend, it remained a fantasy. You can have a fantasy about a goal, but until you start facing how hard it can be to make that goal an expectation, it remains a fantasy. Even if your fantasy is positive, your efforts and performance levels remain low. They really only start to increase when that positive fantasy turns into a positive reality. In Hannah's life, her future family became a positive expectation, which is why she did the work to get sober and stay that way for her son. Right. However, the route to maintaining this new positive expectation Hannah started to set for herself wasn't easy. The work she put into making Christopher her family was tremendous. Hannah faced lots of hurdles and some harsh realities after the pregnancy, including custody battles, rehab visits, lots of fights with her family, and really most importantly, herself. A lot of moms are just like, they get pregnant and they're a mom. Um, for me, that wasn't the case. My own fault, but like, I actually had to like, prove to be a mom. I had to go through like, like crazy, crazy amount of like, hurdles to do it. Um, I was fighting like my own addiction. I was, you know, fighting a relationship. I was fighting my family. Like I had to do all of these things just to be able to like, have my son sleep in the same house as me. Mm -hmm. And he was like, 
a year at that point. So I worked like over a year, more or less, because of the hiccups here and there, just to have my son sleep next to me. Can you elaborate on some of the hardships you faced while going through this? So I originally, I went to detox. Um, my mom had been asking me for, I don't know, the whole two months that it took me from like October to like December 3rd, you know, go to rehab, go get help, blah, blah, blah. I didn't want to hear it. I was like, I don't want to have a baby. Like I did, like I loved him. I wanted to see him, but like the motivation wasn't there. It's more shameful guilt. Like you're just living with every day. So it made using drugs really easy because I didn't want to be present. I was like, blah, like this yeah. is terrible. Like I'd rather literally just die. Um, and then I started like doing drugs I don't even like care for. And then I finally, I don't even know what it was. I was just like, yeah, you know, I can do this whole rehab thing. Like, why not? Let's give it a shot. It's only 30 days. It's only 30 days. So I was like, I can live it 30 days. It's not that hard. Get my son back. It was the worst, like 30 days of my life. Like no phone, nothing. Like you just like don't exist. And at that point in time, you have no idea who you are. Like when you're getting sober, you're just like, what have I done for the last X amount of years? And then you have like, for me, it was a bunch of guilt and shame and, you know, I'm not a good mom, I'm not a good girlfriend, I'm not a good daughter, I'm not a good anything. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously I don't have a job, you can't be a good employee. So I had nothing going for me, so I felt lost. Though Hannah's emotions of shame and guilt during this time were tied to Christopher, the reality was her lack of sobriety for her child made her feel lost and, and lonely. Studies show that children should not be seen as primary motivators for getting sober. Instead, it should be for the individual. Hannah realized this early on as she thought she was going to rehab for her son. However, during her time there, she realized it was more about doing it for herself than it was for anybody else. I was determined to like take Christopher. I just didn't know how to do it. But doing drugs wasn't it. You described feeling shame and guilt and feeling lost. Was there like a flipping of a switch kind of thing or was it more of a gradual change to finally get better? So it's like it just sits there in the back of your mind and it's whether like you actually think about it and react on it or not. Like I knew the whole time like what I should be doing, like mm -hmm. what I could be doing. It was just not doing it. Um, it just, it literally just had to resonate in me until I felt like the motivation myself that I could like actually do that. Um, my mom tried to like motivate me. Like we did a video chat with like me and Christopher when he was really little like Christmas would have been, what, three, three months old? At that point, two months? Yeah, right? super, super October. little. Um, I saw him the day I left for rehab. So that was the last time I saw him, and then it was, like, closer to Christmas, and that's I'm on a video chat. And to be quite honest, I wish I never did that. Um, it made it really hard. Like, the fact I wasn't there, and he was actually, like, completely different looking than when I left in, like, the couple weeks that I was. And I was, I was just like, he's not even know me. He's going to, you know, like move on his life like without me like he's not gonna want me as a mom and so then i left rehab so that um, instead of pushing you towards him kind of pushed you away mm -hmm. so like hannah said even though the ultimate goal was to get christopher back it really wasn't just about that it was also about her own self-care and getting clean for her first so that she would be able to have the strength to take care of her kid as we all know from any goal of our own it's really hard to stay motivated to finish a goal for addicts, the main goal is generally to get sober. It definitely was in Hannah's case. However, staying motivated to finish that goal is pretty tough, as Hannah's taught us. Addicts face a dilemma known as delayed reward discounting. Yeah, delayed reward discounting is the process of choosing small rewards that are readily available versus larger rewards that are delayed. Most people prefer smaller immediate rewards, but this preference is even bigger among addicts. 
They usually choose the smaller reward because it is more immediate. A lot of the time, addicts fail to realize that the larger reward is worth waiting for because it doesn't give them that quick fix that they're looking for. Prior to achieving her sobriety, Hannah was choosing small rewards of getting high instead of the larger reward of getting custody of Christopher. The small reward of getting high was, at the time, more appealing for both Hannah and Christopher's dad, who you'll hear her call Chris. Hannah couldn't realize the larger reward was getting custody of her son at this specific time in her journey. This led to a legal hurdle in court, which ended up being Hannah's final straw. So we had to appear in court for the whole process of my aunt getting custody, for him going from like the state to a foster home and that being like next, next of kin or whatever it is where they sent it to the family, where they have to like properly say like, we will take custody of Christopher. Um, they had to go through a whole process, like drug testing, background screen, the whole nine, my poor aunt and uncle. So they took custody. And then we appeared at another one. We were supposed to be working like a program. And this was like when we were getting high. We didn't care. Like I tried seeing CRISPR here and there. Um, I actually got a hold of some fentanyl, which they don't even, they can't really drug like test for fentanyl unless you do blood or hair or like a super like strong panel. We went to the next one and we had to get drug tested. We took the drug test. Um, I knew I was going to fail because we had done things like in the last couple days that obviously were going to show up on a 12 panel. Uh, Chris had an excuse because he had like broken his finger or something. He literally smashed his finger so he could go get opiates. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Um, so he smashed his finger so he got lower tabs. So we were taking those and then getting whatever we could get with wherever, whenever. And so he's like, oh, well, I'm on a prescription. Da, da, da. I was like, well, what's my excuse? Right. You know, like you kind of screwed me over here. So we came back, sat down. There were still recess. Like people were still like coming in and out. And I looked over at Chris at the time and I was like, all right, we got to go. Like, let's go. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? I was like, no, we're going. Grabbed the keys. Walked out. So we're just getting some air. Chris was like, I'm just smoking a cigarette. And out of the courtroom. Straight out of the courtroom. Out of the front doors. Got in the car. Started driving away. My mom, like everybody, our lawyer, like everyone was outside yelling at us to stop. Like, just come back inside. It's going to be a lot worse. They're calling me. Um, I turned my phone off. And immediately we drove down to, like, Marietta. And got high. Went on a full, like full day's worth. It was all over the place. Everything that we could think of, we did. This seems like it's leading to a turning point because at this point, Christopher couldn't have been more than about a month old, but you mentioned earlier you left for rehab when he was about two or three months old. So what happened after the court date? A couple of days later, I did go to detox. For you or? Mm -hmm. A little bit of everything at that point. Like Christopher was getting older and I didn't like not seeing him. And then I wanted to like, obviously, have full control. As a mom, like, it's still, like, my job. I felt like, you know, I didn't want my aunt to be his mom. I, that made me even more mad at the time, to be honest. I was like, mm -hmm. if I can't be his mom, nobody can. Like, I'd rather be somebody I don't know. So that motivated me. So it's kind of a twisted, messed up way. <laughs> but that was it. And then, like, I was just sick. Man, I woke up every day just, like, instantly. Didn't even go pee first. It was just, like, next to my bed. I'd just, like, do it. Um... All I thought about, if I want to go to sleep, I did it. Wake up in the middle of the night, you do it. It's like you live and breathe, like, using. Um, I'd be worried just when I run low. Like, I'd be worried about it. Like, how, you know, what's going to happen next? Like, you know, I can only do this much today because I can't get it till this day. Like, it was insane. Um, I was miserable. And I knew it, too. Like, you know you're miserable. You know you need help. 
So while going through this detox program, Hannah, in the middle of getting help, was told about a rehab program that might be beneficial to her. They convinced me while I was in detox to go to rehab. Like, oh, well, it's down in Florida, like the beach and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'll take a vacation. Like, okay, that can't be terrible. Go live in a mansion for 30 days. Well, the location was prime. The house was amazing, like 12 bedroom mansion. I did the 30 day program, got sober then, did the NA, grabbed your little tags, did that whole thing. Hannah and her family may have thought that just by going to rehab, Hannah would improve and become sober. But in reality, research has shown that it is not that easy. Rehab is most effective when participants stay and complete the program and put the work into it. People that leave before the months of treatment are over are more likely to relapse than those who stay in it and put their time and effort into it. I mean, this makes a lot of sense. That's the same with any goal. If you don't put in the work to the end, will you really make the change? There's a general misconception that rehab for an addict is the end-all be-all, but Hannah found out firsthand that this isn't the case for everybody. I was not invested. Um, I was filling out workbooks like it was homework, you know, last minute things like BS stories, like, you know, one day at a time, blah, 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 I don't care. Um, so I thought I'd worked a program because I completed what they were asking me to do, but it's really not, I'm like, the amount of work you like physically put into it, but like actually like putting your life. Like what you put into it is what you get back. So I didn't put crap into it, so I wasn't motivated to like, I don't know, like do anything. I didn't want to be there, I just want to like get Christopher back. The reality of the situation was, Hannah was realizing being a mom was more important to her than drugs. While going through this life-altering state, Hannah's relationship with Chris started to take a toll, and that's something she had to come to terms with. In an article by Finkel and Fitzsimmons, they discuss the process of goal pursuit with a romantic partner. They summarize how if working towards a goal together, both people can benefit. But if there's only one of the partners that is fully committed, then it could be a bad thing in trying to achieve their goal. This was the case with Hannah and Chris. Even though they both had the goal to get clean, Chris wasn't as committed and was in a way prohibiting Hannah from also getting past a barrier to reach her goal. I mean, I just wanted him to be so much more than he was. Mm -hmm. I wanted the whole idea, like, the whole reason of having Christopher was to be a family and, like, take care of them together, but that obviously didn't happen. And he didn't want to get sober. Like, he had no interest in doing it, but he wanted to, like, get the baby back, so I felt torn. I was like, well, what do I do? Luckily, Hannah's support system was a lot bigger than just Chris. Yeah, she had so many people helping her. It's actually kind of amazing how many people in her life stepped in to take care of Christopher and helped her out while she was going through this journey, specifically the women in her life. Not to say that the men didn't help, but Hannah talks very strongly of the women in her family that helped her out. I agree. Her family really did their part in helping her stay on track and get her son back. Of course, every story like this has their ups and downs. One downside for Hannah while going through recovery was defects. This made her realize that the world around her continues, specifically Christopher's world. Hannah realized this when her family wanted to take Christopher on his first vacation. A really hard thing, because I didn't know, was my whole family wanted to take a beach vacation. This was going to be Christopher's first beach vacation. I wasn't allowed to be with Christopher for more than like X amount of hours. Even at my own house, even at my aunt's house, if somebody else was there. It was just like the rules for the court. And my aunt was very like, well, this is the rules, like we're not going to bend them. And that was really pressuring. Like, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. Like, what are you talking about? Um, so they were like, well, if you want to go on this beach vacation, like, you have to take a hair follicle test, blah, blah, blah. But at first, they just said, no, like, you're not allowed to go. And then I was like, come on, my case is closing in a couple months. Like, 
can I please go? This is his first vacation. My family wasn't not going to go, so I was even more mad. Um, but they did the hair follicle test. We're like, oh, it came back clean, and we got to do the trip. That was nice. Um, it forced me to bond with, like, my mom and my grandma and my aunt for more than, like, a couple hours. That was the first time I remember, like, feeling like a family. Chris had a great time. We have really cute pictures. <laughs> Uh, I got a picture of my mom and Christopher, which that was the first one we had had. Like, that was our first, like, family vacation where everything was, like, okay. Support is such a big thing in anything you do, but especially in a goal of Hannah's size. Addicts need support. Mothers need support. And Hannah needed support. And lucky for her, she has a loving family who is willing to do everything they could to support her. Looking back, are you thankful for what they did? Oh, no, I'm, like, over the moon. Okay. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Other people can influence your goals pretty heavily. How others support you has an impact on your ability to finish a goal. Not only that, but what other people say also has a major effect on your mood towards that goal. This makes sense. I mean, if people are being super unsupportive and are giving you negative comments about your goal, it's going to take a toll on how you feel about everything you're doing for that goal. For Hannah, since her family was so supportive, her success not only comes from herself, but also from them. Christopher needs support. His dad's not there, so it's limited. Like, he needs a father figure. Like, all of us being a family is big. Like, he has a very good bond with, like, my grandparents, my mom, like, my aunt, my cousins. He loves everybody. And for, like, big events, he knows his family is there. Like, my people, where are my people? Like, ever since he could talk, they were his people. And, you know, just to have the support. I always had it. Didn't mean I took, like, you know, advantage, took advantage of, of it. it. Right. Though Hannah originally felt shame and guilt when she thought about her relationship with Christopher, these emotions might have been non-consciously influencing her decision to get sober. Yeah, because if you all remember, Hannah originally didn't think her sobriety was about Christopher, but then it became clear that it was about him and her ability to be his mom. During that time, what kept you clean? Um, because I wanted to get Christopher back. So we now see that over time, Hannah grew and adapted to the current situations in a way where she can now accept and admit her mistakes. I've had some time to like grow as a person since, yeah. so it's easier to like admit those things. In growing as a person and trying to avoid her past mistakes, Hannah placed implicit value on getting her sober back, which outweighed any lack of motivation she had to not stay sober. I have to like cope on my own. I don't want to like, I want the opportunity to make the right decision. Or like, I want to make my own choice because I felt like going to rehab was like kind of forced. Like doing like with defects, everything was forced. You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this. And so I didn't get the option to like really make the right decisions. It was more like you have to do this or you're not getting what you want. And now I live in a life where like I get the option every day to do whatever I want to. Even though Hannah is able to make her own decisions, she admits to needing help. Hannah had to learn how to organize and regulate her thoughts and feelings. She told us that often her first response to most situations is anger. While she tried other methods, she has found the most success through dialectical behavioral therapy. This is no surprise as research shows that DBT has significant positive effects in reducing aggressive behavior and anger. I have different coping skills now. Um, there's a great one where it's like five things you hear or five things you see. Um, it kind of puts me in the moment because I do like to check out. Anytime I'm mad or like just anything, I'll check out. Where did you learn a lot of these coping skills? Therapy. <laughs> I've seen like six therapists. A lot of them. Uh, guys and girls. I don't really have a preference. It's just whoever I have a connection with. Group or just individual? I've done both. I find groups effective 
it's harder for me to like, it's hard for me to listen to a group because not everybody has the same like coping skills. So all these people have different stories and this works for them, da 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 da, but it's like, I try to do those things, it might not work how I want it to, and then I'm mad, I'm like, well this is useless, it's not working. But that's not really the case, but that's how it started because in my rehab it was like a bunch of group therapies. I ended up doing, I think it's um, DBT therapy, so it's like dialectical behavioral therapy, and it's how I understand like what's going on. And it really opened up like how I see myself, so why I do certain things. Um, my first reaction to anything is anger. It's like a cover emotion. So I could be super sad, super upset, anything, but I'm going to like reflect it as anger. And then I come back around now, I'm like, well, what's actually making me angry? As Hannah is faced with this new reality in daily life, she must work diligently to maintain it, realizing that every action she makes, she thinks of how it will affect Christopher. I don't want there to be a reason to where I wouldn't be able to come home to Christopher. Hannah had many ups and downs throughout her journey. However, Christopher remained the source of light for her even when she didn't realize it. Hannah is now three years sober and has full custody of Christopher. What makes you happy? Mommy. What does mommy do that makes you happy? To make me treats. To make you treats? Yeah. What do you think of mommy? Cookies. Um, what makes you proud of mommy? You. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Gold Diggers. We would like to give a special shout out to the UGA Digital Media Wing in the MLC. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at Gold Diggers Podcast. And that's Gold Diggers with a Z. Thanks, season one. All right. Till next time.